Ladies and gentlemen, it is a long journey to this moment. I am naturally indebted to And the Oscar goes to... And welcome to Thank the Academy, the podcast where we talk about every Academy Award-winning Best Picture film in order. We're your hosts, Zach and Kristen, and that's Kayla, our producer. Howdy. Hello. Hello, hello. We're here. We're here. To bring you news about the 41st Academy Awards. Huzzah. And the 41st Best Picture winner, Oliver. Oliver. We're back to a musical. Yeah. How happy. Yeah. And uh, I think the last one for a little while. Yeah, I one of my stats for the day is this is the last musical to win Best Picture until 2002 when Chicago wins. Wow, that yeah. is quite a long time. Got a dry spell ahead. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah. So much to get through today. But before we do, we have to bring you the Penny News. The news about Penny. A pup date. Yes. So <laughs> recently, I purchased... A silk pillowcase, uh-huh. which is mostly because I, you know, I'm trying to have less frizzy hair and stuff like that. But <laughs> Penny also wants to have less frizzy hair, it seems, because she has taken such a liking to this pillowcase. Mm. Basically, every day she will get into the bed. She'll like jump on her bed and she'll go right up to my pillow. And I've usually like just kind of like left it wherever I had slept, you know. On the bed. At the top of the bed. At the, the top bed. of the bed. Like a normal person. <laughs> no, but like I don't put the throw pillows over it usually. Sure, sure. You know, that kind of thing. And she'll just go right into it and she'll like lean into it and then like settle down and rest her head on it and uh, take her little nap that way. Or at night when you go up with her, because I'm often up way later, she just like snuggles in right there. So when I come to bed, I have to like pick her or up and like move her. she like curls up her whole body on the pillow. Yeah, on the top of the pillow. Yeah. I think she really likes the fabric. Well, and I think it's probably also cooler than the other fabric. Mm -hmm. Well, it's getting hotter now here in the summer in Los Angeles. It's true. It's very true. Penny's not a hot weather dog, that's for sure. Nope. She's got a lot of fur. But she likes the the luxury of the silk pillowcase. Uh Uh-huh. I guess I do too, pup. A girl of the finer things. Mm, That's Penny for sure. Well, shall we get into this episode? Oh boy, yeah, let's get into it. It's a crazy time because, first of all, there's a lot of good movies coming out again, so it's like two years in a row where we got lots and lots of movies to talk about. We are in a renaissance. Yeah, a lot of movies that don't get all the recognition they deserve, and also, the Oscars themselves, the ceremony that is, is just, I don't know. Going through a weird time. It's like a Mm -hmm. teenage era. Hmm. That's how it feels to me, where there's like growing pains that are good and bad at the same time, and things are kind of like changing. And it's been around long enough that there are traditions that Mm -hmm. are traditions, but there's also like new things that are happening. A midlife crisis, if you will. Yeah, exactly. So, here on its 41st birthday. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's true. 
All right, but let's just get right into it today. So we are talking, of course, about the 41st Academy Awards. They were held on April 14th, 1969 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles. Oh, not the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. No, we have left the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium for the rest of time. Oh, wow. Yep, we're done there. Uh, So basically, this is where we're going to be for a long time now. So the ceremony was held there from 1969 to 1987. Oh, wow. Then from 1988 to 2001, it alternated with the Shrine Auditorium. The Shrine Auditorium, they held it there eight times during that time period. Okay. But it's Hmm. mostly here. The Dorothy Chandler Pavilion was brand new. It opened in 1964. And this Academy Awards, the 41st Academy Awards, was the very first thing or large event that was held there at all. So this oh, is kind wow. of like Good the inaugural them. event, essentially. Uh, it fun. boasts one of the largest stages in the country. It's home to the LA Opera and the Gloria Kaufman Presents Dance at the Music Center. Hmm. Uh, so it's a really gorgeous and like at the time it was brand new technology. It was, you know, just like gorgeous and lovely. So Where is it in town? Uh, it's, I mean, it's just downtown. It's like kind of near Little Tokyo and hmm. that kind of area. So uh, very central. Nice. <laughs> Uh, it's still there. You know, you can go see it. They still have lots of stuff there, including the opera. Hmm. So this is the first time since the 11th Academy Awards that there was no host. Oh, okay. Yeah. So no official host this time. Also this year, it was produced and directed by Gower Champion. Oh. Uh, so mm-hmm. totally new structure for the evening. He was known for directing a lot of stage productions. He won Tony's for Bye Bye Birdie, for Hello Dolly, for I Do, I Do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, had a bunch of like musicals that did not go very well at all. And then he you know, had his comeback with 42nd Street later on. But mm-hmm. anyway, so that's kind of his place in all of this. Um, it didn't go super well. It was kind of a clunky night, uh, just in terms of like the way that things went. Well, and if it's his first time, I mean... Yeah, like inevitable. we've been saying <laughs> of the past in modern times, twenty twenty ish. Oh gosh, times, yeah. Uh, they've been horrible in a sense because of everybody is like a first timer yeah. every single year. They won't stick with anybody. Yeah, which is not very fair because I think you need to find someone who has good ideas, and even if everything isn't executed perfectly, at least someone who is being innovative or at least competent. You mm-hmm. know. So anyways, that's a whole other conversation that we don't really have time for today. The Oscars were broadcast internationally for the first time. So the show reached over 200 countries. Whoa. Yeah. So fans all around the world got to watch and participate. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Which also just like contributes to the globalization of American Hollywood and film and stars and all this kind of stuff. Because Mm -hmm. at this point, a lot of the stars are international stars as well. Mm -hmm. So moving on to just some stuff about the ceremony. Um... Oliver is the only Best Picture winner to receive uh, a G rating prior to winning the award. Yes. So a couple of like Best Pictures that have won previously were retroactively given a G rating, but you know ratings weren't given out up to this point. So mm-hmm. this is the first one to receive that. Uh, and the rest of the films for all time have not been rated G. Yeah. I was surprised that Oliver is rated G, though. Yeah. And I, I will talk about the rating system because okay. this is the first year that it is in its existence. Okay. So. During my news segment, I will talk about that. Because I was like thinking about it. I was like, "Ah, yeah, it's a fun musical. I was like, no, wait. It's different how we think of G today. Yeah. Yeah. There's like abuse and 
alcohol. We'll, t- we'll, okay. we'll talk about it. All right. All right. Great. Moving forward. Um, it's also the last British film to win until Chariots of Fire in 1981. Oh, my. Whoa. I know. We talked well, about. And it's crazy because they had such a heyday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've in the 60s. We've had this run of British films that's yeah. really clobbering American oh, interesting. cinema. Mm-hmm. I did not realize that. Yep. It's going to be some time now. About huh. 10 years. I already said it's the last musical to win until Chicago in 2002. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so the ceremony is also kind of remembered by a lot of critics and fans because there were some weird omissions as well. So uh, the film 2001, A Space Odyssey, was not nominated for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't win anything except, you know, effects. And also the film Once Upon a Time in the West didn't receive any nominations, which was another popular film that Mm -hmm. people thought would, you know, get a bunch of stuff. So hits and misses, I guess. This year also, uh, Martha Ray was presented with the Jean Herschel Humanitarian Award, making her the first woman to be honored with it. Oh my, What? why is this just happening? <laughs> she was honored for her volunteer efforts and services to the troops during World War II. Um, so she joined the USO in 1942, shortly after the U.S. entered World War II um, and was a performer. So it's like a hugely retroactive award yes i mean she also you know i mean she should have gotten it then when she was doing the work (sighs) well she did she did the same thing during the korean war and the vietnam war okay so you know that's a little more of the time um they nicknamed her colonel maggie um they like loved her she you know was Mm -hmm. a huge bright spot to many people in the troops during that time because she's a comedian and a performer singer dancer all that kind of stuff so interesting yeah so she won the humanitarian award for the first time uh yeah it's a shame (laughs) that society was so sexist during this time because there are just so many people who are doing so many amazing things that like now they're just forgotten right anyways yeah that's a bummer (laughs) (laughs) i don't have to tell you i know (laughs) thank you for letting me know (laughs) uh okay Um, guess what Kristen? hollywood was sexist (laughs) and still is what (laughs) So, moving forward, because I don't have time to dwell there either. (laughs) Um, So, as I mentioned, 2001 A Space Odyssey uh, won a special effects award uh, this year. And, unfortunately, it's the only Oscar that Stanley Kubrick will ever win. Yeah, which is so shocking. Yeah, very. Worth just reiterating the fact that this is the only award that he will win. For his whole career. Yeah. I, just a tidbit, I will be talking about this film in the next Academy Archives. Gotta get it in while it's nominated and yeah, won something. All right. Let's get into some controversies. So there is some tricky stuff this year. We love a good controversy. <laughs> well, I got three for you this time. Uh-oh. All right. So first up, the film Young Americans was announced as the documentary feature winner. But on May 7th, so of course, these awards are held on April 14th. On May 7th, 1969, the film was disqualified when it was discovered that it had actually premiered in October of 1967. So almost a month later, it was disqualified. Mm -hmm. Oh my, Yeah, so it had won the award, received the award. And a month passes. And they have to rescind the award oh my um so it was disqualified because they found out that it had premiered in october of 1967 making it ineligible for a 1968 award right so at that point the film journey into self which was the first runner-up was awarded the oscar the following day on may 8th oh my well that stinks for them yeah it stinks for everybody involved because it stinks to have it taken away of course Mm -hmm. especially when it's like not like a bad thing that 
happened. It's just the dates, you know? Were you able to find out if like it was a blunder of somebody in particular or like the studio that produced it or like what happened? I don't really happened? know whose like, fault it was. I think it was more so just because it had a soft open, huh. you know? Um, And you have to think it was in October yeah. and yeah. I don't know. That is a big mistake. Yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, this is speculation, so, you know, whatever. Take it with a grain of salt. It could have even been something where people are like, oh, well, I don't know. Did that really count as an opening? Maybe sure. it wasn't really premiere. Maybe it was just like a Because it only viewing. has to play for one week mm-hmm. in Los Angeles County at this point in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be eligible. Yeah. So this is the first of several technicality issues that happen over the course of the evening, of mm, course. Bummer. Um, so, yeah. And it also sucks for the people who won it, who were the runners up, because they don't get to receive their award on stage. Yeah. They don't get to give a speech. Well, and it really minimizes the effect of like getting an Oscar and then your film gaining popularity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So bummer all around. Yeah. All right, next up. Oh, my gosh. There's actually four controversies that happened. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, I forgot. (laughs) A controversy among controversies. Kristen has mistakenly thought three, and it should have been four. This is how it happens. Oh, boy. (laughs) Honest mistakes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, controversy was created on Oscar night when... Johnny Carson and Buddy Hackett announced in a sketch that they did on that evening's Tonight Show. Oh, I know this. Okay. I've heard about this. Yeah. So they did a sketch. It was recorded three hours before the awards ceremony. Mm -hmm. And in the sketch... For the Tonight Show that was supposed to air after the ceremony. Correct. Yes. So it was a sketch that was recorded before the ceremony in which they said that Oliver would be the winner for Best Picture and that Jack Albertson would win for Best Supporting Actor. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were correct. Yes. (laughs) And they did announce, I mean, those were not the only two that they were like guessing. Yeah, they guessed a bunch of things, but they did guess those right. Right. And that was like the kind of shocker to everyone. And especially because Oliver going in did not seem like the clear favorite to win. No, it was not the front runner. And nobody knew what had happened, basically. So columnist Francis Drake claimed that they weren't sure, but they believed that they were, quote, playing a huge practical joke or happened to make a lucky guess. Um, And later on, Johnny Carson talks about this like afterwards about how it just, oh, it caused a horrible issue amidst Price Waterhouse and that people were fired because of this. Um, They call it, quote, the Great Carson Hoax. Oh, boy. So Price Waterhouse actually stated in a 2004 press release that it was, quote, later proven that Carson and Hackett made a few lucky guesses for their routine, dispelling rumors of a security breach and keeping the integrity of the balloting process intact. Hmm. So basically, they had to, like, do all this research and investigation into who leaked it, what happened, because people lost their faith in Price Waterhouse because of this incident. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't a big enough incident that all faith was lost because there were enough people who were like, oh, it's just a, like, lucky guess. It's just, you know, they're goofing around. They got it right, you know? Mm -hmm. And they only got a couple right. It's not like they went down the line and got, like, 10 of them right. Right, 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 right. It's just one of those things where it cast enough doubt that people were concerned, which in a situation like this, when it's so precious to everyone. Well, and it's strange because at this time, obviously, it wasn't as big of a deal in the press to like predict all the awards and everything like it is today. I mean, a lot of people predict a lot of the awards today and can kind of guess most of them right. Yeah. Just knowing 90 some years of Academy history. Right, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the politics surrounding it and all that stuff. The other thing to remember, and I'm just about to get into this, at this point, there is not as much campaigning going on as there was in the early stages of the ceremony in the 30s and like up until World War II, basically, Mm -hmm. in which it was a very small group of people. And so they were kind of in cahoots with one another, like pushing themselves on one another to vote for me, whatever, that kind of thing. That has kind of gone away and it's starting to come back. Mm -hmm. And so there's this little bit of like skeptical nature to what is going on in terms of how people are winning, why people are voting the way they are, how to predict that. And so Price Waterhouse has a very like tricky line to walk in keeping everything so secretive. Mm-hmm. Well, and there was not a lead up of like a huge awards like season. There were only a few awards given out at the time. So like Golden Globes and Oscars, whatever. Now there's like New York Film Critics Circle, LA Film Critics Circle, there's the Golden Globes, there's the SAG Awards. So like once you get to the Oscars and one person has won all of them, it's easy to think like, oh, well, they're also going to win the Oscar. The Academy leader ended up hiring Johnny Carson five times to host the ceremony anyways. So Mm. it didn't really make a lasting effect, but it did cause a big hubbub that night. Uh Uh-oh. So as I was saying, um, there, of course, was some concern over people promoting themselves. And up to this point, there hasn't been much in terms of like for your consideration Mm -hmm. or, you know, those kinds of voting practices that we see all the time now. You know, nowadays, if you drive down Santa Monica Boulevard in the months of February, March or April, every single billboard is for your consideration. But Mm -hmm. now at this time, it wasn't really that way. There was a huge amount of concern when Cliff Robertson won Best Actor for his role in the film Charlie. Hmm. Um, because he just was not the front runner. There was a lot of expectation that Peter O'Toole would win for The Lion in Winter. Also, Alan Arkin was up for a really great role in The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. And Ron Moody was up for Oliver as well. So there were some other competitors. Um, even Alan Bates was up for The Fixer. And he was really you know, well praised for that role as well. Um, So there was a lot of concern over why he won for this particular role, because it just wasn't a very meaty role. It wasn't the front runner, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) what happened? Let me just, I'm just going to read this straight to you out of an article from Time Magazine titled The Trade Grand Illusion um, from like two days later in 1969 because of what had happened. So first, before I get into this article, right after this happens, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences sent out a booklet to members of the Academy. Mm-hmm. And what it said in it was, quote, Regrettably, each year, a few knave resorted to outright excessive and vulgar solicitation of votes. This becomes a serious embarrassment to the Academy and our industry. So the reason they send this out full of stuff about, you know, what the rules are and that kind of thing is because starting in October of 1968, Cliff Robertson placed ads on his own behalf in the trade papers. And they said, quote, best actor of the year, the National Board of Review. Cliff Robertson is Charlie. And they trumpet like all of this stuff in full page spreads, um, culminating in a giant double fold out inserted into the daily variety that contained 83 favorable reviews of Robertson from a spectrum of journals. Hmm. So basically, he just was like, putting himself out there in all of the magazines. Yeah. And all the magazines as the best. And like, as I got good reviews and all these things, he wasn't saying vote for me. He wasn't say for your consideration. He was just simply saying that Cliff Robertson as Charlie in Charlie is the best, Mm -hmm. which 
people think, swayed a lot of people. This is from the article that I found in Time Magazine. This is what they said about it, quote, publicly, the Academy frowned. Privately, many members agreed that Robertson's award was based more on promotion than on performance. Nor is there any reason to expect otherwise. Ads sell movies, runs the Hollywood rationale. Why shouldn't they sell movie actors? Politicians run for office and executives finesse for the corner offices. Performers ought to be allowed a little jockeying for position. Wrong reasons. The trouble is that a large portion of those 30 million viewers who watched the Academy Awards ceremonies last week still cling to the modern screen belief that the Oscars are given for merit. Sadly, they are sometimes not even given in gratitude. For all of his contributions to the industry, Cary Grant has never won an Oscar, nor is Charlie Chaplin, Orson Welles, nor Paul Newman. Even when the Oscar is given to a deserving recipient, it is frequently for the wrong reasons. Jimmy Stewart's Oscar for the Philadelphia story was a workman's compensation for losing the year before, and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. And they go on to like reiterate different people who have won in retrospect, that kind of thing. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. And this is one of their quotes from... Uh, that they got from Walter Matthau when his Oscar came, quote, he admits, because I had a heart attack, they hate to give you anything when you're dead. If you don't play the game, they hate to give you anything when you're alive. And then they went on to talk about a bunch of the different actors who were up for awards that probably should have won, but because of the politics surrounding the Oscars, not just in terms of Academy members, but in the grand like social sphere as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, this is from the article again, Quote, this year, Ruth Gordon deserved her Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in Rosemary's Baby, but Mia Farrow, the lady she supported, was not even nominated. The reason, academians dislike her because of her barefoot hippie attitudes. Barbara Streisand's performance in Funny Girl was far less skillful than Vanessa Redgraves in Isadora, but the Academy has never been able to separate performer from politics. A picket sign once symbolized the town's hostility to her leftist leaning, saying, quote, a vote for Vanessa Redgrave is a vote for Viet Cong. Mm-hmm. So anyways... I say all of this and I share all these quotes from this article because it really, really stirred the pot about what it is to vote for people, why you're voting for them, whether you're voting for them because they're a good political vote or their performance actually merits the award. Mm -hmm. Well, and on top of that, I mean, it just calls into question awards in general. When you're saying that something is the best, each person (laughs) could think that a different person is the best actor. Like when you're saying something is the best of the whole year, it's just like, how do you say that? Well, I think this perspective is especially interesting to me because it's the idea that, yes, that is true. Everyone thinks that something is different than the other person. Mm-hmm. But you really, really hope at the end of the day that people are individually voting for the thing that they really believe has merited the award. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating when you find out that people are voting or not voting for certain people or movies or films or whatever because of reasons outside of the performance of the actual thing. Mm-hmm. It's also hard because not all of the voting members get to see all of the performances. So like, of course, there are going to be some that are missed because it's a majority rules. And so the ones that are the most popular that the majority get to see Mm -hmm. are the ones that are going to receive nominations. Yeah. Which is why I'm a firm believer that you should see every movie that is within your branch if you are an Academy member. Mm -hmm. That's why I love Miss Kirsten Dunst. (laughs) Because when asked, she says, of course, I'm an Academy member. Appreciate it. All right, carrying on. So we got one last thing to talk about today, and that is the tie for Best Actress. (laughs) What? All right, so today, at the 41st Academy Awards, 
Barbara Streisand and Katherine Hepburn tie for Best Actress. Mm -hmm. This is the first time that this has really, truly happened. Yeah. So to set the stage for you, Ingrid Bergman was uh, presenting Best Actress that year. And the accounting firm employee who handed her the envelope told her, quote, Make sure you read everything. So okay. she, which is never Ominous. good. <laughs> so she gets to the stage. She does her thing. You know, it's also interesting everything. that. Sorry to, to interrupt this. It's interesting that the best actor winner from the year before is not presenting it. Ingrid Bergman presented multiple things this year. Huh. Weird. Yeah, she also did um, cinematography, uh, best director. Oh my. Yeah, I don't know why they liked her so much. Interesting. But they did. She was uh, obviously had the envelope. She gets the stage. She does her little intro thing. She opens it and she exclaims, it's a tie. Oh, of course, boy. People go crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's very weird, you know. Um, so this is Barbara Streisand's first nomination, mm-hmm. first win. This is Katherine Hepburn's 11th nomination. Ooh. So she's, uh, you know, racking them up at this point. Mm-hmm. Katherine Hepburn's a no-show. She does not attend these awards. We've talked about that in the past. She yeah. does not like to go. She is not there. Which is kind of really nice for Robert Streisand. Yeah, right. So she was very emotional and she ended up kind of stealing the moment. She went up there. She was very emotional. She took her thing and she says, hello, gorgeous, which is her opening line in her film, Funny Girl. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves it, appreciates all that. The way that this happens, both Barbara Streisand and Katherine Hepburn received 3,030 votes each. Hmm. And this is the first exact tie in a principal Oscar category in history. Hmm. So as you may remember, if you've been listening along with us, there has been a tie before. So Friedrich March and Wallace Beery in 1932 tied for Best Actor. Friedrich March was in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Wallace Beery in The Champ, and they split the award. But in this case... Uh, Wallace Beery had actually received one less vote than Friedrich March. And the rules at the time stated that if any nominated film or artist came within three votes of winning in a principal category, the result would be considered a tie. Mm-hmm. And this is 1932, so it's only at like the second or third Academy Awards. So this is like way, 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 way back at yeah, the beginning. Right. They hadn't ironed all this out. So, of course, they get rid of that rule. It's, you know, down to the number now. Right. It was kind of crazy that this happened, right? Like, what are That's the odds? That's so many votes. What Over 3,000 votes to then be a tie. Exactly, a tie. So there is one tiny little wrinkle that came out that is questionable, but honestly, I don't know. I don't feel like I care about it that much, but it okay, is let's hear a it. point worth let's mentioning. Hear it. Okay. Uh, so a couple of days after the Oscar ceremony, Academy president at the time, Gregory mm-hmm. Peck, admitted that an exception had been made to grant Barbara Streisand membership to the Academy in 1967. But membership is based on one's credits in the industry, and Funny Girl was released in the fall of 1968 as her film debut. Okay. So she's granted membership in 67. She's not been in a film yet. And then the film is released in 1968 as her debut film. She'd been fast-tracked into membership, and then, presumably, we're assuming... She cast a ballot for herself at the awards that year, right? Okay. So if she had not been a member of the Academy, she would not have cast a vote for herself and Hepburn would have won by one vote. Hmm. That is the thing to kind of... Supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. Supposedly, supposedly. Also, you know, you never know who, if taken back, would have remembered to vote or voted on time or all those kinds of factors, you mm-hmm. know? Um, the thing about the membership situation is that it's tricky to know whether that was okay or not, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Oscar nominees are always considered for membership automatically. So if you get nominated, 
you get to be part of the academy. Mm -hmm. But other candidates have to be sponsored by two active members of the branch they wish to join, and then each branch has specific requirements. So for example, if you want to join the directing branch, you have to have a minimum of two directing credits with at least one of them within the past 10 years. Okay. So to be considered for an invitation to membership in the actors branch of the academy, and this is straight from the handbook, I'm just going to read it, an individual most, quote, A, have a minimum of three theatrical feature film credits in all of which the roles played were scripted roles, one of which was released in the past five years, and all of which are of a caliber that reflect the high standards of the Academy, and slash or B, have been nominated for an Academy Award in one of the acting categories, or C, have in the judgment of the Actors Branch Executive Committee otherwise achieved unique distinction, earned special merit, or made an outstanding contribution as a motion picture actor. So that's the category in which she squeaked it. Mm-hmm. C. But she had not been a motion picture actor. Correcto. So, you know, these are the things. And I would be honest with you, I don't really care. Yeah, right. You know, it doesn't She's bother been me. in the entertainment industry already right. up yeah. to this point. And She's, it's kind of like. Yeah. She's bound to be in it going forward. Just because it's her film debut doesn't mean it's her debut acting, mm-hmm. you know. All these kinds of things. I mean, and it's hard because you both praise her for this being her debut film and she wins an Oscar for it because that is a remarkable feat. Mm -hmm. And also it's like, okay, maybe it's her debut film, but she is an actor. Like she's been an actor prior to this. So I don't know. That's that. Juicy. Yeah. Um, Of course, uh, Catherine Hepburn uh, made a bunch of records that night um, because she becomes the second actress and third overall performer to win an acting Oscar two years in a row Mm -hmm. uh, after Louise Rayner in 1936 for The Great Ziegfeld and 1937 for The Good Earth. Boo. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Spencer Tracy in 1937 for Captain Courageous and 1938 for Boys Town. Mm -hmm. The year before this, she won Best Actress for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And as we talked about, don't know how deserving, but she still won. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, also, the fact that she had gotten 11 acting nominations were a new record that year. Yeah. So that is it. That is what I have to cover tonight. Lots of controversy. Yeah, lots of stuff just going on. And as I said, it's just like, I think it's mostly growing pains. Like, I think it's mostly just, you know, the Academy is coming into its own. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, just to kind of finish some things up here, let's go through our awards for this year. So, of course, for Best Picture, we've got Oliver. Uh-huh. Hooray. And also, just so you know, the other films in this category are Funny Girl, The Lion in Winter, Rachel, Rachel, and Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And this Romeo and Juliet was pretty groundbreaking. It was the first one to feature, like, actors of age mm. for the parts. So, like, they were underage actors, essentially. Dang. Yeah. Uh, best Director goes to Carol Reed for Oliver, who is a man. Carol is a man's name. I yes. wasn't sure first. <laughs> Carol like, is mostly a man's name in this time in American history. When I first was looking, I was like, oh my gosh, a woman director? What am I looking at? This must be wrong. And it was not. It's Carol the man. Sir Carol Reed. Yes. Best actor goes to Cliff Robertson for Charlie, as we talked about. Best actress goes to Katherine Hepburn for The Lion in Winter and Barbara Streisand for Funny Girl. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor goes to Jack Albertson for The Subject Was Roses. And Best Supporting Actress goes to Ruth Gordon for Rosemary's Baby. Which, crazy that this film, like, got and won a bunch of awards. I always forget that. Rosemary's Baby? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just think of it as, like, the horror film, you know? And Ruth Gordon is one of the oldest women at the time to win an acting award. Mm. So it's a pretty good win for her because, as we know... 
Hollywood is sexist. <laughs> uh, and definitely does not want to award older women. So congrats to her. Best story and screenplay written directly for the screen goes to the producers. Yeah, Mel Brooks. Yeah, Mel Brooks. Uh, yeah, another great film this year. Mm-hmm. His first uh, film. Yeah, and first win. Yeah. All right. Uh, best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to The Lion in Winter based on the play by James Goldman. Also nominated in this category, of course, is The Odd Couple, Oliver. Oh, no. I mean, it's and just Rosemary's, Rosemary's Baby. Babe. Yeah, it's crazy. Best documentary feature film goes to Journey into Self, which I talked about the, mm-hmm. you know. Which is the one that actually won. Yes, not Young Americans. Best documentary short subject goes to Why Man Creates. I just want to mention... Uh, best documentary short subject is Saul Bass. He's the one who is responsible for really changing the way. We've talked about him a few times. He did a lot of the title cards, oh, the animated the, title like, cards. animated sequences. Yeah, of Otto Preminger and Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. Yeah, Around the World in 80 Days. Mm-hmm. So cool for yeah, him. Yeah, he won his, on his own merit. Yeah. <laughs> best live action short subject goes to Robert Kennedy Remembered. Uh, best short subject cartoon or animated goes to Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. And this actually is given to Walt Disney. It's a posthumous award, kind of his official last award, even though, you know, he didn't really get to see the end of it. Um, best original score for a motion picture, not a musical, goes to The Lion in Winter, John Barry. Best score of a musical picture, original or adaption, goes to Oliver Johnny Green. Best song, original for the picture, or original song as we know it, goes to The Windmills of Your Mind from The Thomas Crown Affair. Also up for, uh, you know, awards here are Chitty Chitty Bang Bang from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. And Funny Girl from Funny Girl. Mm -hmm. Best sound this year goes to Oliver. Best foreign language film goes to War and Peace from the USSR. And a little note about this film. It is the longest film that has ever won an Oscar. There you go. Of any kind. How long is it? So What's the time to beat? So in total, it is 431 minutes long. Oof. So part one of it's broken into four parts now. Part one is 147 minutes. Part two, 100. Part three, 84. Part four, 100. Totaling 431 minutes. Gosh, it's a miniseries. Yeah. Best costume design goes to Romeo and Juliet. Best art direction goes to Oliver, mm-hmm. which is well-deserved. Yeah. Very cool art direction it's in that very film. very cool. Best cinematography goes to Romeo and Juliet. Best film editing goes to Bullet. Best special visual effects goes to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Congrats, Stanley Kubrick, on your one award. So in the end, of course, Oliver had the lead with uh, 11 nominations and five wins. Five competitive, plus uh, there was one honorary award given to it as well for uh, Anna White for her outstanding choreography. Yeah, and she's only the second person ever to receive an honorary award specifically for choreography for a film. Mm, yeah. So congrats to her. Yeah, that's a huge and wonderful win. Yeah. Eight nominations for Funny Girl, uh, seven nominations for The Lion in Winter and Star, and in the end, three wins for The Lion in Winter, two wins for Romeo and Juliet. Uh, additionally, as I mentioned, the Jean Herschel Humanitarian Award goes to Martha Ray, and there were two honorary awards given out this year. Walter Matthau presented John Chambers his award for Outstanding Makeup Achievement for Planet of the Apes. Yeah, another like really fun, cool film that came out this year. Yeah, exactly, with very cool makeup. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, Mr. Matthau walks out with 
a little monkey on his shoulder yeah. in a little suit yeah. to give out this award for uh, excellence in, you know, makeup. Mm-hmm. And of course, as I just mentioned, Diane Carroll presented Ona White with her award for Outstanding Choreography Achievement for Oliver. Yeah. So congrats to all of the winners. Of course, there were performances, as there always are, of the songs from the films. Uh, so that happens as well. And yeah, all in all, it was a complicated day. Hmm. Complicated ceremony. Yeah. But congrats to the winners. Lots of good stuff still happening. It's a fun time in film. Well, that's what I have to share today. So why don't we take a little break here? And when we get back, you can tell us about Oliver. Yeah. And we're back. First up, uh, the year in film, 1968. Starting with, you guessed it, births. Cuba Gooding Jr., John Singleton, Josh Brolin, Molly Ringwald, Daniel Craig, Aaron Eckhart, Celine Dion, Patricia Arquette, Ashley Judd, Amy Ryan, Catherine Tate, Timothy Oliphant, Billy Crudup, Sean Levy, Kristen Chenoweth, Terry Crews, Jillian Anderson, Deborah Messing, Billy Boyd, Guy Ritchie, Will Smith, Naomi Watts, Hugh Jackman, Sam Rockwell, Owen Wilson, Lucy Liu, and Margaret Cho. Holy moly. Once again, I did not know they were all born the same year. Mm-hmm. Uh, some film debuts, important film debuts this year. Gary Busey, John Cleese, Timothy Dalton, Goldie Hawn, Madeline Kahn, Sandra Locke, Malcolm McDowell, Austin Pendleton, and Barbara Streisand. Huzzah! All right, on to the deaths of this year. Um, a couple of people I haven't really talked about. The first is Alice Guy Blash. Um, she is a French filmmaker, um, and she's considered the first female filmmaker, sort of. She is considered also the first woman to ever direct a feature film in history. Um, But she was a French filmmaker, and then she ended up opening a studio in New Jersey when they were doing studios there. And she sort of made the transition to Hollywood and did one film in Hollywood, and then she retired. She's like, no, thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, Bobby Driscoll. He was a child. Yeah, one of the most famous uh, early child actors. He, of course, is the voice of Peter Pan in Disney's Peter Pan. Um, He won the Juvenile Academy Award for his body of work in whatever year that was. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But he had a very, very tough life, of course, as a lot of child stars do. He Mm -hmm. was very heavily into drugs and alcohol. Wow, because he can't be that old, right? No. Yeah, he was only 31 when he died. Oh, my gosh. Yep. So he had a pretty tough life. That's sad. Um, next, we have Faye Bainter. Um, she won Best Supporting Actress for Jezebel. She yeah. was nominated two other times for White Banners and The Children's Hour. No. Joseph McDonald. He was the first Mexican-American cinematographer, nominated three times for Best Cinematography. Kay Francis, um, in the 30s, she was one of the highest paid film professionals of all time. Wow. Nedrick Young, uh, he won Best Original Screenplay for The Defiant Ones. Mm. He worked with Stanley Kramer a number of times. Uh, Franchot Tone, we've talked about him a number of times. He, of course, was in Mutiny on the Bounty. 
he was a part of that uh, triple nomination for Mm -hmm. Best Actor, which ended up leading to the Best Supporting Categories existing. (laughs) He, of course, was also involved in the... Controversy between Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. Mm -hmm. That's how I know him. (laughs) The controversy between Joan Crawford and Clark Gable. (laughs) So lots of fun things he did in his career. One of the classic Hollywood rumor guys. Yeah. Um, We have Hunt Stromberg. He was producer for The Great Zigfield. Walter Wanger. um, He was president of the Academy from 1939 to 1945, and he retired after producing Cleopatra. I wonder why. (laughs) He received the honorary award in 1946. He refused uh, a a first honorary award that he was supposed to be given years before for Joan of Arc when it was not nominated for Best Picture. Mm. Um, And then we have Tallulah Bankhead popular actress on Broadway and in films. We've talked about her a number of times. And author John Steinbeck. Uh, Of course, many of his books have been adapted into many good films that we've talked about. Yeah. So this brings us to some big, big news. Finally, the code is gone. Ding dong, the code is dead. Yeah. Uh, So November 1st, 1968, the voluntary film rating system replaces the code. So from 1968 to 1970, these are the guidelines um, for the ratings. Rated G means, quote, suggested for general audiences. Okay. So that's why Oliver could get a G rating. Because there's no PG. Or no, so general audiences. General. So then the next highest rating is M, suggested for <laughs> mature audiences. Okay. Parental discretion advised. Okay. Then we have R, mm. restricted persons under 16 not admitted unless accompanied by parent or adult guardian. Mm. Then X, persons under 16 not admitted. Okay. What are some examples of these at the time? Do you have any or no? Um, no. Of course, the next year after this, we have an X-rated film winning. Right. Um, so we'll talk about that more then. <laughs> um, but X would go away pretty much right away mm-hmm. um, and turn into NC-17, mm-hmm. which basically means no one under 17 admitted. Um, in 1970 also is when we'll get into it again, but like... These are sort of the first guidelines. They think this will cover everything. Of course, it will not cover everything. (laughs) They end up going through many iterations and still have been going through iterations up to this day. So production companies, um, in the years leading up to this change occurring and sort of like preempting it, they start releasing non-approved films like that the code didn't approve um, under their subsidiaries. So the big production companies want to release films approved by the code. Mm -hmm. And if their film is not going to be approved by the code, then they release it under a subsidiary. So it's not like, oh, Warner Brothers released a film that was not approved Ah, by the code. Mm -hmm. It's like some lower production company that they own, essentially. Now they decide to begin releasing their more adult fare under those subsidiaries. Um, So they don't want their rated X or rated R films or some even rated M films to be released by the like head studio. So Uh they release it by the smaller ones. Um, While then the rest of their general admission films get released by the main 
things. Mm-hmm. So your Universal, your Warner Brothers, what have you. Peter Bogdanovich becomes the first film critic and scholar to pivot into writing and directing with the release of his first film, Targets. Um, he would go on to become a very successful director, writer, and actor. Um, he would eventually get two Oscar nominations. And of course, he's still acting and writing mm-hmm. and directing today. But just an interesting pivot mm. that we have not seen yet. Yeah. Melvin Douglas becomes the fifth actor and second male performer to secure the triple crown of acting. Huzzah. Um, he won his Tony for Best Actor in a Play for The Best Man, his Oscar um, for Best Supporting Actor in HUD, and his Primetime Emmy for Lead Actor in a Miniseries or Movie for CBS Playhouse. Oh, okay. He would go on to win a second Academy Award later in his career. Nah, well, good for him. Uh, this year, we also have the 21st Primetime Emmys. Um, the Emmys have a lot of problems. I don't know why they have so many problems. <laughs> so they're deciding to change up their eligibility things again All right. this year. Um, so they combined a bunch of uh, categories again for this ceremony. And then no show received more than two major wins this year which is a big thing mm-hmm. um the most drastic change was that now to be eligible all shows that had aired more than two seasons were ineligible what oh my. so if you've been airing for more than two seasons you're immediately ineligible for future awards oh, right um so this was because of the rise of repeat winners uh-huh yeah. So we have a bunch of people who are just winning back to back to back right. to back to back. Because everybody loves it. It's right. The best show on TV, whatever. Yeah. So they decided to squash that for a few years. That is very interesting. Yeah. I think that would really change what the Emmys are if that had stayed the way it is. Yeah. Well, and it immediately de-incentivizes your show running for a long time. That's true. And being yeah. successful, mm-hmm. which is very strange. Um, another really weird thing, there was no winner in the category of outstanding single performance by an actor in a supporting role because the people who voted all got together and decided that none of the nominees were worthy of an award. What? Rude. So a bunch of men were nominated and they just decided none of them were actually good enough to receive an award. That would like be so scarring if you were one of those nominees. Yeah. How do you recover from that? Very, very strange. That is awful. Yeah. That's why we don't have an Emmys podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So then we also have the 23rd Tony Awards. Um, So big numbers from the musicals had started being performed during the ceremony for the 21st Tony Awards because that was the first year it was broadcast on TV for a wide audience um, this year, they decided to also have two scenes from representative plays performed. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. I feel like that's tough to get into. Yeah. Um, so this year, the awards, the big awards were given to uh, Best Play goes to The Great White Hope, and Best Musical goes to 1776, which beat Hair, Promises, Promises, <laughs> which is the musical adaptation of The Apartment, <laughs> and Zorba which is the musical adaptation of Zorba the Greek. Best actor in a play goes to James Earl Jones for The Great White Hope. Um, Featured actor in a play goes to Al Pacino, which is pretty cool. Mm. Lead actress in a musical went to Angela Lansbury. Um, Another big show that got a lot of nominations was Woody Allen's uh, premiere of Play It Again, Sam, with him and Diane Keaton starring. Mm, Right. And then I just wanted to mention a couple of the honorary Tonys given out this year, because a bunch were given to people who should have gotten awards, 
but this is kind of funny. Um, so retroactive Tonys honorarily. Okay. Um, so the National Theatre Company of Great Britain was given an award, which was given to artistic director Laurence Olivier, <laughs> the Negro Ensemble Company, and we've talked about them a few times mm-hmm. because a lot of the prominent black actors who are working in Hollywood came from there. Um, Rex Harrison, <laughs> <What? laughs> Leonard Bernstein, and Carol Burnett. <laughs> All right. So just thought that was funny. And on to Oliver. So a little recap. Of course, it's just the story of Oliver Twist. Um, so Oliver is taken out of the workhouse he's grown up in and sold to a mortuary. He eventually runs away to London where he meets the artful Dodger and Fagin and their band of young thief boys. He begins learning the ways of pickpocketing, but is caught by a gentleman, Mr. Brownlow, and is taken in and cared for by him. Fagin, Dodger, Nancy, and Bill Sykes worry that Oliver will expose their gang and their crimes, so they devise a plan to rescue him from Brownlow. Once they have Oliver, though, Nancy hears what a nice life he could be having with Brownlow and wants to make it right. Unbeknownst to the rest of them, Nancy plans to take Oliver back to Brownlow, but the plan goes wrong and Bill Sykes kills her for fear of their being captured by the police. Bill is killed as he is trying to escape with Oliver and Brownlow finds him and takes him in again, realizing that Oliver's mother was actually his late niece. (laughs) So this film had a budget of $10 million, and it ended up grossing $77 million, so quite a lot. It grossed about $17 million in 1968, placing it at number five at the U.S. box office. Hmm. Of course, Funny Girl was number one at the box office that year. Mm, yeah. Um, so this is the 10th film adaptation so far of Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist. Oh, my heavens. Dickens originally published this story in monthly installments from February 1837 to April 1839. So mm. over two years it took uh, for the telling of this story. Wow. The full novel was published at the end of 1838 with a few of the monthly serials still to come out. The story was a huge success at the time, being one of the first popular works of fiction to deal with child exploitation, domestic and sexual abuse, and as most of Dickens' works dealt with classism and crime in London during the 1800s. (laughs) One criticism of the story at the time was the supposed anti-Semitism in the character of Fagin, who was referred to as Jewish many times in the novel, and Ah. no other race was mentioned in the book. (laughs) Okay. Um, Dickens responded to the criticism saying that he had no ill will toward Jewish people and Mm. was eager to adjust wording and phrases that were called into question. So as to be clear, he was not intending offense. So he went through and re-edited some of the phrases and re-released the book. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's better than nothing. Yeah. Um, he also spoke about how the character of Fagin happened to be based on a very popular London criminal at the time, Ike Solomon, who ran a pawn shop dealing in mostly stolen goods who happened to be Jewish. And so that was sort of just what it was. Um, The anti-Semitic critique of the story um, especially fell out of fashion when it was announced that Lionel Bart, a Jewish man himself, was adapting the story as a musical, a production that would go on to feature many Jewish actors in prominent roles beyond that of just Fagin. Mm, mm -hmm. So it's kind of like doesn't exist anymore. That's good. I was going to say I've never heard that criticism. Yeah. I don't know the book very well, but I know the musical, so, Mm -hmm. okay. 
Um, Lionel Bart exploded onto the theater scene in England um, with two back-to-back hit musicals, Lock Up Your Daughters in 1959 and Oliver in 1960. Um, Oliver was extremely successful on the West End, eventually playing for over 2,600 performances, breaking the record then for longest-running show on the West End. The show transferred to Broadway in 1963 to very similar success. It only ran for 774 performances, but was nominated for 10 Tony Awards, winning Best Scenic Design, Best Original Score, and Best Music Direction. Two years later, it was revived on Broadway already, and the cast sang two numbers on The Ed Sullivan Show the same evening that The Beatles had their American TV debut, uh-huh. uh, which brought the show and musical even more popularity because everyone was wanting to watch The Beatles. Right. As the musical grew in popularity, film executives began exploring the idea of turning it into a film. The most recent successful film version of the story was the David Lean version starring Alec Guinness as Fagin. Um, That one released in 1948. Hmm. So nearly 20 years later, people were finally ready for a new version. Director Richard Quine expressed interest, hoping to cast Peter O'Toole as Fagin and Georgia Brown as Nancy in a reprisal of her role from the original West End version. Producer John Wolfe ended up securing the rights to the film version, and he announced that Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor would star in it. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So uh, Richard Burton as Fagin and Elizabeth Taylor as Nancy. Oh, my gosh. Um, Eventually, Sir Carol Reed was chosen as director for his reputation of working well with child actors. Um, He had made many movies up to this point with child actors. Which then made them pivot, and their approach became to use as many newcomers as possible. Mm. So Mark Lester and Jack Wilde were chosen as the two child leads. Um, Mark Lester played Oliver, and Jack Wilde played Dodger. Um, Mark Lester is a really strange person. He does not have a very long career. Once he turned 18, he like got all the money from being a child star that had mm. been like saved up for him. And sort of quit acting and like did he went out immediately bought a Ferrari like on his 18th birthday when he got (laughs) all his money. He led a kind of a wild life and then became an osteopath. What does that mean? Um, So like a bone doctor. Oh. Oh. And like joints and. Okay. He did sports medicine for a while. All right. His other very, very strange claim to fame or claim to infamy. Uh-huh. is that he claimed that he was one of Michael Jackson's sperm donors. What does that mean? So one of the people that were giving sperm to Michael Jackson for his children. What? Yeah. So he was a close friend of Michael Jackson and is actually godfather to all three of Michael Jackson's oh, kids. Why does that make sense that Michael Jackson would be interested in him? Well, then after his death, <laughs> after Michael Jackson's death, um. Lester then gave an expose interview to the British tabloid News of the World. And then he claimed that he was the biological father of Paris Jackson. Oh, my gosh. That's so weird. So then he claims that he was one of the 20 people who was like a regular sperm donor of Michael Jackson. I don't know. It's very, very strange. Okay. Weird dude. Not a good child actor either. No. He was really bad in this movie. He's the weak point of it to me. And it's a shame because he does have a cute little face. Like, he is a cute little kid. He's just not a good actor. Yeah. And it's really a shame because he also could not sing. Obviously. 
that was weird. Was that his voice? No. Of so, course not. What the heck was that voice? He was, he was dubbed by Kathy Green. I knew it was a woman. I who, knew it was an older woman. It's not an older woman. It. She was the daughter, child daughter of the music director for the film, Johnny Green. So he what? won the Oscar oh, for the goodness. film. Um, and his daughter, he had the dubbed voice. the role. Well, it sounded like a weird little animated mouse was singing for him. <laughs> You know the animated mice are voiced by humans. <laughs> but it's like the way that an adult woman would voice an animated mouse who was then dubbing for a boy playing Oliver Twist. <laughs> yeah. So he was horrible in this film. Oh, poor kid. Um, But that uh, brings us to Jack Wilde, who was, who was not re- horrible. Really great. Yeah, he's um, great. <laughs> So Jack Wilde and his brother Arthur had been discovered by agent June Collins, who, funny enough, is Phil Collins' mother. Oh. Um, it's and, always in the industry. Yeah. Uh, when they were out playing together one afternoon in a field. Oh, okay. Um, she helped enroll them in a private art school, and they ended up both being cast in the original West End production, um, with Arthur being one of the boys rotating to play Oliver, and Jack playing Charlie Bates, who was a member of Fagin's gang. So they ended up auditioning most of the boys that had played on the West End or the Broadway shows for the film version to get all of sure, the boys. that makes sense, yeah. Um, so they ended up casting Jack in the role of the Artful Dodger. He would perform the part to great critical acclaim, getting, of course, the Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. And nominations for Most Promising Newcomer for both the Golden Globe and the BAFTAs. Aw, that's great. Yeah. So he was about 16 at the time that he got the nominations. Okay. He looks so little. Yeah. Um, The filming for the film was done at Shepperton Studios in England, and the sense at the time was that a British studio could not match the musical of hollywood (laughs) sure um but they did it um critic pauline kale who we will now be taking over our bosley talking about more often (laughs) of the new yorker uh she said it was very rare for a film version of a musical to be better than the original stage version but that oliver was just that Hmm. she also admitted in that review that she had walked out of the broadway production of oliver because she thought it was so bad Oh, my. Which is interesting. That is interesting. And reviews about the film were generally positive, but not particularly glowing or overly sentimental. It was just kind of like, yeah, it's a good film. Oh, yeah. Okay. I Um, mean, and that's kind of how I felt too watching it. It's not my favorite movie or like a phenomenal inspiration. So my take on why this won Best Picture is that it was kind of like the safest choice. I know Mm. Funny Girl is also a musical. Yeah, and a great one, too. And a good musical. But I think that this one just harkens back to classic musical uh, more so. Sure. Um, so a couple interesting stats. Uh, I just want to talk, just mention all the ones that have won Best Picture up to this point. Because at this point, choosing a musical for Best Picture, it doesn't seem like the thing to do, but it is the most common genre that has won Best Picture so far. Mm. So these are best picture winning musicals up to this point. The Broadway Melody, The Great Zigfield, Going My Way, An American in Paris, Gigi, West Side Story, My Fair Lady, The Sound of Music, and then Oliver. Up to this point in a 
Academy history, musicals, are, of course, are one of the most common films to even be nominated. So of those that won, an additional 26 films were nominated for Best Picture. Wow. So it's just very, very common up to this yeah. point, which is even more startling that you mentioned that this is the last one now. Yep. For decades. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I did not realize that. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. We're over that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was one of the most nominated genres, and now it's one of the least. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, and like, it's always like fun when a good musical comes out, because there's so few and far between. Well, there are a lot of musicals that come out. They just don't get nominated. Sure. And with that, we come to the end of the show. Yeah. And time for our thanks of the Academy. Yes. Like we do every show Mm -hmm. for things relating to this episode or this year in films or for the films that were nominated. What would you like to thank the Academy for today, Kristen? Hmm. Let's see. I would like to thank the Academy for people who vote for what they really want to win. Uh Uh-huh. What they really think was the best of that year. Yeah. That's a good idea. That doesn't seem like it should take a lot of thought or guts to do, and Mm -hmm. yet it does. Mm. Even today, I mean, even more so today, honestly, when it's so easy to get swayed by voting for your friends or the underdog or the person who is hot at the moment. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the people who consider everything, who watch everything, who, you know, do their duty as an Academy member and uh, vote for what they really think is the best. Mm -hmm. And the thing to remember is that the nominations are given out by the people who are in your portion of the Academy. Correct. In your branch. So acting nominations are made by actors, but the final vote is by everyone in the Academy. Which, of course, is why the most popular things end up winning. Sure. But vote for what you think is the best. Yeah. Not what you think is... If you have the distinguished honor of being an Academy member, then you should be a good Academy member. Yeah. (laughs) I would like to thank the Academy for the film rating system. Huzzah. The code is dead. And we have moved on to a far superior method (laughs) of... Just saying what generally is in a film and then rating it and allowing all things to be made. And also letting you decide for yourself. Yeah. The film production code held back American culture for far, far too long. And that dumb, dumbhead Joseph Breen can suck it. (laughs) That's my thought about that. You would not have been allowed to say that while he was alive. No, but I would have said it anyways. (laughs) I would like to thank the Academy for a film full of newcomers. Yeah. That's exciting for Oliver. I, I like, I didn't really know anyone who's in it, mm-hmm. honestly. And like, I just kind of know it because I've seen it, you know? So yeah, I was and like, a couple of them like have careers, but they're not super famous up to this point. Yeah. And a lot of them don't ever really get super famous either. But they're all great in their roles, yeah. except for Oliver. But everybody else was really good, you know? And mm-hmm. it's a great, you know, version of the stage play and yeah special shout out to ron moody who played fagin he was really good yeah he's great he was also in the original west end version okay as yeah Fagin. he's really great yeah i mean yeah all around very fun yeah and i would like to thank the academy for animated mouse voices <laughs> <laughs> you know when you hear an animated mouse and its voice is 
being made by an older woman, and then <laughs> the mouse is dubbing the mouse for a little is boy. Dubbing for a little boy. <laughs> so thanks to that animated mouse voice. Yeah, for we appreciate your work. <laughs> singing for Oliver. You weren't very good, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Mice can only do as good as mice can do. Mm-hmm. And with that, we leave you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, and join us again next week when we bring you a new Academy Archives. Yeah, so long, fairly well. Pip, pip, cheerio. We'll be back soon. Hmm. Thank you for tuning in to Thank the Academy. You can follow us on social media at Thank the Academy Podcast on Instagram and at Thank Academy Pod on Twitter. If you enjoy listening to the show, make sure to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. The theme song was created by the one and only Noah Heisinger. Join us next week on Thank the Academy.